Today's Bible reading is from Acts 13, 44 to 52. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Nowhere, man is a less-known song by the Beatles, and this is the opening verse of that song. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? And that last line there, that's that's kind of the turn, that's the surprise. Um, Isn't he a bit like you and me? But I think it's true. I think it's true, especially true about the church in Canada. And I, I mean the capital C church, ourselves included. As the, the broader church in Canada, we are not sure of what we believe. We're not sure uh, what the good news about Jesus is. We don't have strong convictions as the church in Canada. And for us, I think one reason the series in the book of Acts has been so so good, so valuable, is that it's reminding us of these two things. Who are we meant to be? And what is the gospel? How do you know the real gospel? So the passage today is going to help us engage that second question especially. How do you know the real gospel when you're hearing it? And I want to look at these two claims in this text today. Okay, this is the gospel to believe. Number one, believe the gospel that meets resistance. Number two, believe the gospel that brings joy. Okay, first, believe the gospel that meets resistance. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And it's a mixed crowd, of course, of course it is. There's There's Jewish people, of course, it's the Sabbath, it's the synagogue, but there's also Greek people there as well, and they're ethnically Greek, they're culturally Greek, and they're interested to hear about a religion they did not grow up with. And I think we know about that dynamic, actually, even in our own day as well, but with different religions. I mean, for for the baby boomers, for example, um, for that generation, it was Hinduism in the 1960s the Hare Krishna movement, uh, very, very popular among uh, North Americans. There was this movement. Okay, for millennials, 
I think it, I think it, it may be Buddhism. That's my sense. I remember in university, it was kind of cool to be into Buddhism. Uh, I was taking an ethics course and that was included in the curriculum and it was, it made a real impression on people. Okay. Right. So a different, very different worldview, different values, different kind of moral code. Um, that's, that's interesting. It's, it's compelling. Now for these ancient Greeks, what was compelling about the Jewish religion? What was compelling was the kind of pure monotheism of the Jewish faith. There's no like pantheon of gods, um, as in the Greco-Roman religion, like a pantheon of gods living like frat house boys. No, none of that. In this, in the religion of Israel, there is one God. Uh, and a personal God who personally calls you to a holy life. And many people found that compelling. There was a kind of subculture uh, that was really interested and um, fascinated by the, the religion of Israel and, and, and the scriptures. So kind of the millennials of the ancient world, if you like. And it's them. They show up at the synagogue. There's a lot of them who show up. It's a big crowd, like standing room only. The atmosphere is charged, it's electric, and pretty soon the sparks start to fly. Verse 45, the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. So some of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they stand up during Paul's sermon and they begin to shout and contradict what he's saying. Now, why is that? I want to ask. Why is that? Well, at one level, they're jealous. They've been leading the synagogue for years, for decades, and now these men like breeze into town and suddenly there's a revival. Everyone wants to be there and it's a threat. The crowd is a threat. Their popularity is a threat. Paul and Barnabas are a threat. It's all a threat to their position and their leadership of the synagogue. But now I want to ask a deeper question. Um, why is there a crowd in the first place? What about the message that they heard last week? Um, the passage just before this, what about the message is so compelling and so intriguing? Like, why do all these people gather? And in the days leading up to this, there this rumor around the whole city, like, you, you can't miss this. You've got to be there. Okay, seven days earlier, Paul said this in his, in his first speech in the synagogue. He said this, Let it be known to you that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is set free. A freedom you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Okay, the message is a declaration of freedom in Jesus' name. Uh, it's for all who believe. And so it's a declaration. And at the same time, the message is an attack against every other source of freedom that the human heart relies upon. For example, both then and now, hu human beings look for freedom in religious performances. Just one example. Um, that's the big one for the religious leaders in this passage we're looking at. They believe they have freedom from obeying the law of Moses. The Torah has many laws, 613 laws. 
And Paul says to them, these religious leaders, he says to these people, very careful, very disciplined, very, very committed religious elite, he says to them, you're not free. All your religious performances, they do not free you. You think you have freedom. That is no freedom at all. And they're ticked to hear that. The simple message of the gospel is inflammatory. And it meets resistance because everywhere the gospel goes, it says to men and women, you are looking for freedom in things that cannot set you free. Only Jesus can set you free. Now that's the message and it meets resistance uh, again, both then and now in our own day as well. Our culture is not so concerned with religious performances and freedom in that way. Uh, our culture tends to tie freedom to identity. Okay, so true freedom in, in this mode, true freedom is the freedom to fully express the self that is deep inside you. So you develop your identity by looking inward. Um, you determine who you are for yourself and not by your family context, not by your religious community or by any community, you, you, you look deep within uh, to discover yourself and you affirm yourself and you be who you want to be. A philosopher Charles Taylor calls this expressive individualism. And the, and the gospel message says that cannot free you. The claim of the Christian faith is that freedom comes to you when you humble yourself and you let your God, your creator, your designer, you let your God reveal to you who you are and reveal to you your great worth in his sight. Sam Albury is an author and a speaker. <clears throat> I'd like to share a quote from his book. The title of the book is, Is God Anti-Gay? This is what he says. It's the same for us all, whoever. I am to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It is to say no to your deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. To take up a cross is to declare your life, as you have known it, forfeit. It is laying down your life for the very reason that your life, it turns out, is not yours at all. It belongs to Jesus. He made it, and through his death, he has bought it. Now, Sam Albury is a man who lives with same-sex attraction. And I think we miss the point if we say that Christian life is uh, somehow different for him and for, and for, and for those who live with same-sex attraction and seek to follow Jesus, that it's some way different, fundamentally different. It's actually not different. It's not that the gospel meets resistance everywhere it goes. And I want to ask, does it meet resistance in your own heart? If you think the gospel just slides into your life and you're like a natural Christian, if you think you don't have to die to yourself, you don't have to lay down your freedom, don't have to surrender to Jesus Christ in costly and difficult ways. If you think that way, 
then it is likely that you have not really started to follow Jesus. And there are many people listening to this message. Uh, many people were a big room here. And so I, I trust that some people need to hear that hard word and consider that and reflect upon that. But if you're someone and there is a struggle in your heart as you seek to follow Jesus, then I say, praise God for that struggle. You have a natural bent to look for freedom in things of this world and to look for freedom in, in your self-expression. Um, and Jesus is calling you away from worshiping those things. If you struggle, it means that you're hearing it. It means you're hearing his call upon your life. If you struggle, my encouragement to you this morning is that that struggle itself is evidence you are hearing the true gospel. And keep listening. Let the gospel confront you. Let it disturb you. Let the gospel challenge your patterns of thought and behavior to the glory of God. Believe the gospel. Which gospel? The one that meets resistance. Second, second point here, believe the gospel that brings joy. So the synagogue service turns into this fiasco. Um, there's a, a din of voices that fill, the, fill this, 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 this hall. And Paul and Barnabas finally raise their voices louder than the others. They confront the Jewish leaders, verse 46, and they say this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now that means that as far as this city is concerned, they're done with the synagogue. How could they stay? They're not welcome. No, for the rest of their time in this area, they're going to speak the word of God to the ones who want to hear it. And who wants to hear it? Well, some of the Jews, not the leaders, not the synagogue leaders, of course, the ones who, the Jews who want to hear it would be the Jewish lay people, um, but also many of the Gentiles. Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah, thus says the Lord, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when they hear that, at that moment, the Gentiles begin rejoicing and praising God. And as modern readers, I think, honestly, it feels like we don't get the joke. We're, we're kind of missing, there's a, there's a punchline there, and we, we, kind of, we kind of missed it. Um, we're missing something. Why, why that reaction? Why are they so thrilled when they hear that? What Paul says. And I, on this point, it helps to know a bit more about the status of these Gentiles in relation to Judaism in the context. So as I said earlier, there was a subculture of Gentiles who were very interested in the Jewish faith. And a small number uh, of men went all the way, uh, which meant circumcision to come into the Jewish faith. But the, the large majority who were interested in Judaism, the large majority did not want to do that for obvious reasons. Uh, that part 
was really not appealing. So the large majority were not circumcised. They were still on the outside. They were called God-fearers. They're like the fan club. They're, they're spectators. A couple of years ago, there was a musical in town titled Dear Evan Hansen. And the title character, Evan, is a socially awkward high school student trying to navigate grade 12 uh, with all of its awkwardness. And his first song in, in the show is titled Waving Through a Window. This is a quote from that song. On the outside, always looking in. Will I ever be more than I've always been? Because I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass. I'm waving through a window. I try to speak, but nobody can hear. So I wait around for an answer to appear while I'm watch, watch, watching people pass. I'm waving through a window. Can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? Now, if you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter how much you like the Torah. You're on the outside. You're tapping on the glass. You're, you're, no one's waving back. Your presence is, is tolerated, but you're not really welcome. Not really. But now, these visitors come to town. They preach, and it's not like anything that you've ever heard before. You're, you're standing at the back of the synagogue, but you're hanging on every word that they say. And then the shouting starts. And there's this, this uproar breaks out. But over the din, Paul and Barnabas, they speak like with a fire in their bones. And they say, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. Thus says the Lord, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And suddenly, in that moment, it's like you're born again. Because the voice of the God of Israel says, you, at the back of the room, you, this salvation is for you. And you realize in that moment all that the Jewish faith has to offer is yours. Through Jesus, it's yours. You have a place you belong. And not because of anything that you did. Not because, because you were circumcised. No. Not because you keep the Sabbath. Not because you memorize uh, um, Torah. No. It's, it's because you belong, you, you belong in God's people because of Jesus forgiveness of sins in his name, freedom in his name. And not because you earned it. Think how many communities there are in this city that basically your resume gets you in. And I don't mean just university programs, graduate programs, work, um, but also social groups, interest groups. Well, the people of God is a community, and you can find deep belonging here. The basic requirement is that you check your resume at the door. Are you someone who brings your empty hands and your desperate need for Jesus to heal you and heal you of your addictions? 
Is that you? Does that describe you? Very good. You are qualified. You have the credentials. This is grace. This is the opposite of what you earn, deserve, merit, achieve. This is grace. And grace brings joy. It's the joy of surprise, really. The surprise is that grace draws near people who think that they are too far away. Do you know what it feels like to be on the outside, to be a, a social outsider? Jesus knows. He knows that. The prophet Isaiah says this about the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The eternal Son of God left all of his glory, all of his honor. He, he left the very center. He left it and he humbled himself. He moved out to the margins his whole life. And he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross, with my sin upon his shoulders. We sang that song this morning. So deep, how deep is the Father's love for us? Jesus Christ on the cross was not, not just marginalized, he became an unclean thing. He was cast out from life itself. And died in three days. Is buried. But God raised him from the dead. And by that resurrection, he opened a way from the margins to the center. It is a narrow door from the margins to the center because the door is Jesus Christ himself. He opened the way. And it does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter how far away you feel because Jesus went to the uttermost. He went to the depths of death and shame. And Jesus opened up a way from the far reaches, from the ends of the earth. There is a way open to the center. I read a quote recently. It said that all of us are born looking for someone who is looking for us. Which is, I think, why it's a beautiful thing when you see like a mother holding her baby and their eyes meet. This is the... I've been looking for you, waiting for you. Now, for you, for if, if you're a human being, you're looking, looking for someone, looking for someone that you delight in, who delights in you, looking for someone looking who is themselves looking for you. And I say to you, he is looking for you. The one who made you, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who knows you perfectly. He knows you so perfectly. He knows the word on your mouth before you say it. The one who gave you life, the one who loves you like a mother, like a father, he is looking for you. The way is open through Jesus Christ. And you are not too far away because Jesus went to the uttermost. He went to death itself 
There is nowhere you can be that is too far. Come to him. Come to Jesus and let him make you a son of Zion. Let him make you a daughter of the king, a member of the people of God. And this application is essentially the same, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. The application is come to Jesus. Um, come to the center. If that, mean, if that would mean coming to him for the first time, come to him. If you have walked a Christian life for years, for decades, come draw nearer. <laughs> draw nearer the center. See him in all of his beauty and grace for you. See him who went to the uttermost that you might come. Come to him. Come to the center. Come to Jesus Christ. Amen.